Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends, to Navigate with ID. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here. I'm grateful to God for the gift of life. And I'm also grateful to you for tuning in to this beautiful program. I hope on Tuesday you had a one-time blast of um, if you had an ID on the turntables, giving you some old-school jibes. Well, these things happen. I know I've gotten a bit of feedback from different people saying, okay, that was a different twist to navigate with ID, and I think we'll be trying that once in a while. Friends, we can't afford to continue the same way over and over. Once in a while, let's do some things that are quite different. As you may know, we've been taking on different facets of what I call the personal leadership direction. In the last edition, we looked at the problem-solving framework where I took you through the flow chart and what it took for you to move from a state of saying, I have problems or I have opportunities to a point where you have a plan in order to make a move to the next stage of your life. Whatever it may be, whatever form you find yourself, relationships truly form the currency of the spirit. And it's important that we dwell within the right spaces, if and when we need to take and make decisions. That is bringing me very swiftly into a new dimension of what we'll be discussing. And it's really about the leadership wheel. And I am doing this with the whole premise of stepping into the terrain by ultimately reviewing a book I bought almost 12 years ago. The book is titled The Leadership Wheel. Uh, put together by Clinton Siddle. And it talks about the leadership wheel and the parallels of how it works. I just thought I should bring this out in the form of a series as I uncover several parts of this beautiful um, enterprise called the leadership wheel so that you and I can begin to discover ourselves. So what am I saying? I'm saying that in the next couple of episodes we'll be looking at self-discovery you and i need to discover ourselves you need to discover yourself i need to a large extent also build on that and the best way i could actually bring this to life is by leaning on this beautiful book by Siddle and bringing this leadership wheel you know to life i found the five archetypes a very interesting uh, piece you wonder what are the five archetypes? They call it the ancient paradigm. There's a sage, there's a warrior, there's the nurturer, there's the visionary, and there's the teacher. These five archetypes are what Siddle put together in his book. And I think it's important that I will spend quality time during these editions to really bring it to life. And I hope you are able to discover yourself in that whole melee and also form something that is new and modern 
in your thought and the way you go about stuff. Now, when I look at the wheel, if you think about the wheel, a wheel is an object that is round in nature. But you can look at a steering. You talk about a steering wheel. You can look at a bicycle and then you'll see the wheel. If you look at that from the lens of being a model for leadership, you'll realize that every single one of us as individuals will always find ourselves unpacking something different. It means giving some essential meaning to every direction that we take and to put it within the cultural context of now. And it's all about how we adapt ourselves. Friends, if you do not self-discover, you cannot self-develop and you cannot self-deploy. So I'm going to lean on this concept as I try to help you discover yourself and to know where you would fit and also describe each direction as a key aspect of human nature that will shape interpersonal effectiveness. And then hopefully I will then present an example of how that particular quality in you or the one found in that archetype will manifest itself in some of our would-be uh, leadership stunts today. And so maybe the very first place to do or to start with is to ask you to look at this leadership wheel as four circles that you can place north, south, east, and west, and then there's something at the center. So if you are thinking of how to draw this, I would like you to have four circles in the form of a cross. At the top of the circle, where you have the north, you have the warrior. At the south, you have the nurturer. The left, which is your west, you find the visionary. The right, which is the east, you find the teacher. And at the center of it, you'll find the sage. Welcome, as I take you on this journey, courtesy of Clinton Seidel, as we look at the concept of the leadership wheel. And I'm going to start from the East. That is the way of the teacher. And it's all about knowing the world. There is a quote by Seneca, which he puts there. He says, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Personally, as an individual, I do not believe in luck. I do not believe in saying somebody's lucky. I believe that time and chance happens to everybody. I believe that every man and every human vessel is blessed. And what it means to be blessed is that you are already empowered by grace to prosper. And so when you do what you need to do, the natural level of blessings will come. Whether you do it or not, blessings will come. And that is the nature and the order of God. God blesses whoever he wants to bless. Whether rich, whether poor, whether slim, whether tall, it's immaterial. The blessings will always flow. And so whilst I'm able to put that quote there, I want to also give you my own perspective of it. But I understand the concept behind it to say, when you are able to prepare well ahead of any situation and the opportunity comes, I would like to preface it and say it becomes an achievement. And so when you consider 
the archetypal energy of becoming the teacher. That when you hear the teacher here, it's not as in what you consider. The teacher is about intellectual intelligence. It is that place of first illumination where our senses first recognize an object as it appears in our experience. For example, when you wake up in the morning to the breaking of a new day or in dawn of a new day, it is where the mind is used to observe the world just as it is. It is cool, it is objective, it is without any form of bias. And from there, that experience and past experiences, you are able to say that I can look forward to the hope of a future because you know what the morning would look like. It is very predictable when you wake up in the morning to the breaking of the dawn. But nonetheless, when you look at the mind of a teacher or you want to play within that space that we are looking at the way of the teacher, which is one archetype in the leadership wheel, it is a place of inquiry. It is not easy to just have anyone call you an intellectual. The intellect is used to grasp and analyze experiences with a very strong and powerful mindset or logic that then becomes knowledge. So if you are that type of person who would find himself observing things just as they are, if you find yourself being very precise, accurate, those in that particular mood sometimes appear unfriendly because their approach to issues, their approach to the world is very rational. It's black and white. It's methodical. It is very structured. So if you find yourself being in that kind of space, then you may of necessity be a, the teacher. You might be in the teacher mode. What is another great attribute in this space? The teacher, as you find in that archetype, that typically are focused on the present, on the near, on the reality of things. The teacher, you'll find being attentive to details and they always like to ponder and analyze masses of data. They like information while attempting to bring order and understanding to reality. Friends, it is tough to persuade teachers to a different point of view. That's why they are very conservative. They are quick to criticize and difficult to influence without solid facts, figures, and data. So if you find yourself in this mode, within the context of the leadership wheel, that you are conservative, they tell you that you're quick to criticize, you sit to attentive to details, you are always having a different point of view, and very difficult to influence without solid facts, without figures and data. My friend, you are sitting within the ambit of the teacher. The teacher, or teachers rather, use their sharp intellects to free them from doubt, and they continue to inspire to reach out to share their knowledge with others. So teachers are seen and known as the seen ones. They are objective observers. They are knowledge holders. It's because of the facts. So if you're a man that always wants to know the facts, 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 
if you find yourself always in tune with the facts. So if you also have a boss who is always pedantic about the facts, then you know this person has the archetype of a teacher. So the teachers are knowledge holders. They are immovable ones. They see reality clearly and hold appearances as knowledge while remaining unmoved and untouched by them. But one thing that they do is that they help others see the world clearly. So if I take this particular archetype, and just like Siddle put in his book, which I'm actually leaning on to be able to share with you, because it's important that for you to survive the challenges you're facing, whether with relationships, whether in your office, whether you know within the work environment, you know, we started this whole process looking at office politics. We moved from there to talk about problems, um, solutions, creating a framework. But it all speaks to one thing. Do you know yourself? Who are you? Do you have a sense of where you sit? Yes, you are a leader. Yes, you are a manager. Yes, you are a boss. Yes, you are a father. Yes, you are an instrument of work within the ambits of the work environment. But do you really understand how this forms in the larger scheme of things? So let me jump very quickly into what I consider the learning routines of the teacher. The first learning routine of the teacher is curiosity. Curiosity. And you will find that as a teacher, you seek and analyze data to tell people where they are and how things are working. Teachers inquire and investigate openly and honestly into the nature of the reality. It is this inherent curiosity and desire to understand that drives that individual or that person to acquire expertise and knowledge. Do you wonder why you want to go for every single degree under the sun? It's simply because within the leadership wheel, you may just have the attributes of a teacher. That curious mind, the curiosity, it's a learning routine. So when you sit in that space, you then understand why you are there. The teacher investigates assumptions and issues and then looks for data to prevent unforeseen circumstances, just to help them improve understanding in the world. So it's not by accident that you just find your preference. I want to go for my master's. I want to go for my doctorate. I want to go for another PhD. Okay, um, I'm in this department. I think I should study law. I'm seeing that I need... All of that begins to take you into a space where you will find yourself in the right understanding and fit that you've been able to discover who you truly are. The second learning routine for the teacher as an archetype within the leadership wheel is logic. Teachers also are logical and rational in solving problems. They evaluate opportunities and provide a critical viewpoint and attention to detail, very necessary for grounding actions in reality. They are pragmatic and when dealing with others and very realistic in addressing problems. So if you are that kind of person, then you can clearly see that 
you have what it takes. You are actually a teacher. And finally, one major routine of the teacher is objectivity. So there are three learning routines as spelled out by Sido. Curiosity, logic, objectivity. In objectivity, teachers remain coolly observant of the world. They work openly with biases and they neutralize emotional reactions just in order to help themselves and others see reality not clearly and to face it peacefully. But that's why they are very methodical. That's why they are deliberate. So if you are in an organization and you have a boss who has the archetype of a teacher, then you must understand that in approaching your boss, you have to approach her or him with a different mindset. You cannot find or go on a separate dimension and expect to win with such a person or such a personality. And if that happens to be you, then people around you must understand that this is the nature and the preference, and this is where you sit as an individual, your preferred option. So when we talk about learning routines, let us look at the defensive routine of a teacher. Now, you can have several examples of people who have sat in that kind of space. You know, one thing I can tell you, when you find a teacher sits in that space solidly, that shadow that comes of the teacher arises out of a fear of being wrong or not knowing. But when you find that their views are thwarted by something outside their current range of understanding, teachers feel as if their ideas or concepts are under attack. And so that is why they get attached and they make sure everything is black and white, yes or no, stay in that cocoon and they may not necessarily come out. So what is your job then? Your job is to bring anyone in that space out, but be advised and note the following as the routines that you may have to follow, given that anybody that is in that leadership will, that eastward position called the teacher, will have the first thing called fixation. The first thing called fixation will come as the first defensive routine. What is fixation? I want you to understand that the energy of becoming for the teacher type always compels them to define themselves and their self-worth through their intellect. So they want to turn everything into black or white, right or wrong, like I said. When this goes too far, they tend to solidify their ideas and they stubbornly physique on their views. So if you have a teacher type person as your boss, you know that this person is going to be fixated. This person is going to be strong about his or her views. If you find yourself discovering yourself now that based on what ID is saying to me, I see myself in the teacher archetype then you must know how to begin to unbundle yourself in a way to allow other views come through that your defensive routine of fixation cannot be the way to go all the time. The second defensive routine that you find with the teacher type is righteousness. Teachers can become self-righteous when challenged 
and inflexible and rigid, even in the face of change. They can become so stuck in their views that they become argumentative and overly critical of other people. To protect themselves, they can become very uptight and defensive. So imagine if you have a boss, a manager, or a spouse who is a teacher archetype, and we are looking at the different types within the leadership wheel. I said that at the beginning, that I found a book of mine, which I bought about 12 years ago, and I just trying to take the rounds in there because we are about to go into some form of self-discovery or discovery. Because from this discovery of who people could be and where they sit within the leadership wheel, you will know how best and how well to tackle them or be tackled. So righteousness, as I said, is a defensive routine for teachers. The third big piece within the defensive routine of teachers is analysis paralysis. We talk about it all the time. Shadow teachers are so enamored with problem solving that they suffer from analysis paralysis. When you find somebody analyzing, analyzing, and analyzing, we call it analysis paralysis, especially when they are pressed for results. They may seek unnecessary data and detail you will just get frustrated at that point. Oga, make the decision based on one, two, three. He says, no, we have to go further, dig deeper, continue digging. It gets to a point where it will be so obvious that this is an overkill. But that tells you that this individual that is your boss, that is the leader, and this individual could even be you. So if you find yourself in this kind of space, of defensive routine that you continually seek unnecessary data and detail, just work at that what you know you do, and then you get wrapped up in analysis and you fail to see the big picture, then you may actually be in the teacher archetype. So I'm sitting here in a posture that says the wisdom activity of a teacher is an absolute clarity that pacifies you and I, or the struggle to understand what is happening around. So sometimes, what are those things that come from it? Anger. Many people tend to get angry with this personality that is called the archetype teacher. You find that people always at their wit's end when they are with you. Well, friends, this is just the halfway mark. We were back on the other side as I look at another archetype. I've told you that it's a series of self-discovery and we're looking at the leadership wheel. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, my dear friends. It's Navigate with ID. And if you're just joining us, I bid you welcome. We're looking at the leadership wheel in this particular episode and the episodes to come. Why, you may ask, it's time for us to get on the track of discovery. Very many people do not have a sense of who they are. And so we have started a journey of a self-discovery. And um, hopefully you may also discover one or two inner things using the leadership wheel as the basis 
for our connect. And so I'm actually drawing all of that from a book by Clinton Siddle titled The Leadership Wheel. And more importantly, I'm actually using the symbol and the context of the leadership wheel to drive the point home about the importance of knowing where you sit within the ambits of the leadership wheel. But before I go into the second wheel, and for the benefit of those who are just joining us for the first time, who just tuned in, and for those of us who have been there, let me just have a slight recap. And my recap sits from the standpoint that every single human needs to shape interpersonal effectiveness. And the only way that that manifests is through understanding the wisdom qualities that you have in your own learning routines. Every single one of us have routines that drive our personal growth. While sometimes we also have shadows, which we call defensive routines that lead to derailment or stalling or they impact other people. And so at the end of it, we all have preferences for certain archetypes that are enhanced by accessing the others. The wisdom arises from letting go of self and opening to others while the shadow routine comes from holding on to the ego and serving self-interest. So you can see that as I go through this process, I want you to step back and to learn and grow. I want you to be able to discover yourself. We may not finish all of that in this one episode. It may take us a few episodes to close on the self-discovery path. But I believe that as you go on this particular journey, you'll find a space where you can remain true to your natural preferences, but learn to incorporate other directions and have yourself a holistic personality as a leader. And so the first place we considered was to look at the five archetypes. The five archetypes, I said you could draw it as a cross. The north, you can write the warrior. The south, you can write the nurturer. The east is the teacher, which we just spent the first half analyzing. The west is the visionary. And at the center is the sage, S-A-G-E. So there are five archetypes. We've looked at the way of the teacher. And that is really speaking to the intellectual sagacity and intelligence of the teacher. That was the first half. This part where I'm about to go into is that of the South. So we're moving from the teacher to the South, which is the way of the nurturer. And what do I mean? And what does Siddle call this? Let me start with a quote by Daniel Goldman. It says, effective leaders are alike in one crucial way. They have a high degree of emotional intelligence. Daniel Goldman remains the father or the discoverer or the one who brought emotional intelligence, a.k.a. EQ, a.k.a. EI. Depending on the school that you have, he is the one that says that leaders are alike in one crucial way. They have a high degree of emotional intelligence. Now, the archetype of the nurturer is one of emotional intelligence. 
And that's why we're starting in this way. It is the place where our first contact with the world through the teacher is enriched and deepened through a feeling and emotional reaction. So it is a place of feeling. It's a place of emotions. And it's a place where you encourage the heart that creates a sense of confidence, wealth, and abundance that you then share with other people. Now, naturals see everyone as equal. And so they are communal and concerned with making relationships work. Naturals serve and care for others. As a mother who looks upon all beings as her own children, naturals support and encourage. They drive this to help others to extend out into the world to learn with a sense of safety, without any fear or inhibitions. Nurturers believe that when individuals feel valued and they trust each other, they will be more motivated and willing to make sacrifices for the community. I believe that Nigeria as a country requires a high degree of nurturers to be in our leadership pool, especially at federal, state, or local levels. Nurturers are known as the ones born from the jewel because their sense of richness is so great that they extend it to all. What I'm saying to you, my dear friends, just in case you can locate yourself in this, in a modern context, the nurturer represents the power to be emotionally in touch with self and others and to build strong relationships. Remember when I was talking about relationships on the Tuesday show, I talked about how it is important for you when you get to a point where you ask yourself, can I live with this problem? If you say yes, then you need to continue and have some strategies to live with that problem. You must get to the point where you ask yourself some very valid question. Can I live with it? And if you say yes, then you need some coping strategies to make it work. But if you say no, it means you need to then look for someone who you can go to, whether at work, at home, within your family setting, or wherever. And that's what the nurturer can do well. As a nurturer, you are socially skilled and make a good listener, a good communicator, and a good networker. You are also a good collaborator, committed to producing very strong teams and fostering learning and commitment. You also care how people treat one another. And so, in this particular space, you'll find that nurturers are open and trusted, and they believe in the basic goodness of everyone, which allows them to freely serve and to give support to others. Isn't this a beautiful archetype or a space, the nurturer in the South? But friends, this is the leader as a servant. Very different for where you found the teacher who was the leader as the expert. There's a difference. As a teacher, that archetype, this is the expert. Teacher equals expert. Nurturer equals servant. And this servant I'm saying to you is a servant leader. 
This is the notion that was espoused by Robert Greenleaf. Servant leadership. You find that being very rare in our climb these days. Are you a servant leader? Then you are a nurturer. If you don't find yourself with all these attributes are painted, my dear friend, you are not a servant leader. As a leader, your authority comes from others knowing that you care and are supportive of their efforts and their development. For example, that people don't care how much the leader knows. They want to know how much the leader cares. That's what Warren Bennis said. When such sentiments are broadly shared, they create a greater sense of community and a sense of organizational culture. And this is what Peter refers to as communities of commitment. Anywhere and everywhere I find myself, the first thing I look around for, who is the nurturer in this environment? But then, let me step quickly into some learning routines so you can tell if you are a nurturer or a servant leader. The first learning routine of a nurturer is empathy. Empathy. Leadership research has shown that the ability to relate and work well with others is very critical to success. Whenever you look at effective relationships, they are based on empathy and the ability to listen well and to put oneself in the shoes of another. Empathy is an honest openness to the frames of reference of others, and it enables a genuine dialogue and thinking, not just thinking, but thinking together about problems and new ideas. That's the only way you can build trust. That's the only way you can build effective relationships. And that's the best way that cultures would develop in any learning organization. A second learning routine is around values being guided. When you find a nurturer, it brings about a strong sense of values and those strong sets of values build trust. Values are first principles. I believe so much in this. They are first principles by which any individual, any team, any organization will stand. When you look at an individual standing, that individual is a representative of a family. And the way he or she approaches issues or does stuff tells you the values tells you the moral and ethical codes that actually drive and lead the person, tells you how much of that regard the person has to the goals and the ends that they want to frame and how well they are built on fundamental beliefs. The last learning routine is around resilience. So when you look at an, a nurturer, it's about empathy, it's about values, it's about resilience. What is resilience? It's being grounded in an emotional well-being. Nurturers bring a resilience and a source of strength that frees them from doubt. Because you can't be a servant leader and then you'll be a doubting Thomas. Nurturers are liberated from self-interest because of resilience. And it opens them to care for, support, and serve others. Are you a nurturer? You must have a tinge and a good dose of resilience.
on Tuesday, I talked about resilience as a wraparound factor. If you remember, if you were part of the program, when I was talking about the problem-solving toolkit or flowchart, after I started from the beginning and up to the end where you execute the plan and you evaluate the plan again to ask yourself the question, you need resilience, resilience, and resilience. But the act of going through that whole process then actually tells if you are a natural. And so the typical shadow of a natural arises out of a fear of not being or having enough. And sometimes it comes as an insatiable need to hold on, to proclaim, and to aggrandize the sense of self. So, and it's all feelings and emotions that are pointed towards identifying with self and results. So what would be the defensive routines you'll find with a natural, a servant leader? So when you look at a servant leader, you must know that they also would have defensive routines. There is always a positive, there's always a negative side in every situation. It's two sides to a coin. Number one is oversensitivity. Natural's need for acceptance and harmony can be so great that they become oversensitive to criticism and avoid conflicts altogether. Natural's want to please and are afraid to fail in the eyes of others. So at times, they will take every criticism personally. They have the tendency to feel guilty about differences and they try to make amends without challenging the issues. And sometimes to protect themselves, they will become, they will become unassertive. They can withhold information and they may fail to challenge ideas that they might not agree with, all because they just want to protect that aspect. The second defensive routine you can find with a nurturer is dependence. Nurturers also tend to become dependent on others for support or advocacy and fail to act independently or speak for themselves. They seek harmony so much that they become reactive to the expectations of family, colleagues, and other people's agendas. Do you know why it happens? It arises out of their dependence on others for feeling accepted, for love, and for a sense of belonging. And so they fill themselves with a business for others. So servant leadership has its own downsides. And if you're a servant leader, if you are a nurturer, you need to know on what parts you need to work on. The third defensive routine you find with nurturers is pride. In very extreme cases, nurturers protect their feelings by distancing themselves and becoming aloof. They often appear to be arrogant as their fear of losing the emotional support of others becomes so great that they try to prove themselves over and over again. So it's important that you know what the pluses and the minuses are, what the learning routines are, and what the defensive routines are. Friends, there is no right way to do wrong. But when you are self-aware, when you are able to discover who and what approach an individual takes, if that person is your spouse, if that person is your boss, 
if that person is a very good friend or a family member, you have a good sense of the archetype of this person, whether that person sits as a teacher, as an expert that wants to lord a lot of things over you, or the person is a nurturer who sits to give you the pleasures of servanthood, which we call servant leadership. You must understand that there are learning routines and there are defensive routines to each archetype. And as I look at that of a nurturer, you find that the shadow tendency of the nurturer is transmuted into wisdom by moving from a self-centered feeling to a feeling of equality with others. The wisdom activity of nurturers is equanimity. And that equanimity allows them to relax and feel an enriching depth, expansiveness, and abundance of all kinds of life. This is how Sidil puts it in his book. So connecting with a friend or engaging others in a team, in a worthy endeavor, allows nurturers to forget themselves. And it reminds them of what is most important. So I want you to understand and ask yourself, are you a nurturer? If it's not, it doesn't mean that being a teacher, being a warrior, or even the sage makes you super. But what it means is that you can appreciate other leadership tendencies or types, and you can borrow a leaf from it. Nothing says to you that as an expert, that you shouldn't have a time. You, you shouldn't have a tinge of servanthood, that you will not have empathy for people. Now, and I want you to understand that in the purified form, nurturers have awakened to their basic goodness, and that gives them confidence and their emotional resilience to tackle life's difficult problems. That's why nurturers would easily come out of problems because they are empathetic. They have moved from a place of poverty to one of abundance and from a place of pride to one of confidence that enables them to reach out and enrich and nurture and serve others in their world. Siddhul says that nurturers are not wimps. However, when their values systems are violated, they react. So don't think because this man is a servant leader, this man is seen as someone who is serving you, that you can trample on him and deal with him and insult the value system that is strongly defends, you will find that ferocity of a mother protecting her young. Have you gone close to a dog that is nursing the cubs? You will see that a dog will take you out. Or even just a simple look at any mammal, look at any animal protecting its young and see what happens when it feels that there's some form of violation in the space within the value system or that ecosystem, you will see the ferocity of a mother. That's exactly what happens when you try to trample on a nurturer. And so it's important, friends, that as we have considered two of these very strong archetypes today, that as we move into the next episode, I'll be looking at the West, which is the way of the visionary. But just for the benefit of our everyday living and everyday exercise, I want to take a quick recap of the day and to make us see that very importantly, 
you and I have to go back to the origin of understanding and putting ourselves in the place of discovery. In essence, I'm saying to you that self-discovery allows you to move towards self-mastery. What is self-mastery? Self-mastery starts from discovery. It then allows you to move into the space of development. That areas where you feel that you do not have what it takes, you can fill those gaps. It's almost like a road that has been built over the years and then begins to have cracks. Those cracks, if not attended to, become potholes. If those potholes do not get attended to, they become gullies. The same way you find road networks like we find around our climb getting so poor and bad that it looks like erosion has eaten it up. It didn't start yesterday. It may have started a long time ago. It would have been ignored. Oh, no, it's just a small, it's just a small crack. From that small crack, it moves into a bigger hole. From that bigger hole, it moves into a gully. And from a gully, it then becomes an item for national attention. What then happens? It becomes a risk to everybody. In like manner, when you do not understand yourself as a leader, when you do not have a good grasp, you've not discovered yourself, you have nothing called self-awareness. What does it mean? You have not been able to see where you stand and who you are. And you are sitting as a leader over others or leading leaders. You are about to be that gully or that big pothole that has become a gully. Because you have chosen not to develop yourself. You've chosen not to close those cracks. And that's the essence of this whole process we're about to go on. And as we go through this process, I hope that you'll discover who you are, what type of leader you are within this leadership wheel. When I come back in the next episode, we'll be looking at the way of the visionary. And from then on, by the time we go through all the five archetypes, you and I will have a conversation about development. Thank you so much for listening, friends. If you do have any questions, remember, all you need to do is to send a mail to contact at navigatewithig.com. I'll be more than happy to support and to guide you. And together, we'll get to that place called there. Thank you and goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.